involved the session for allowing me to preach this morning and the confidence that the missions committee has shown in me to allow me to actually talk about missions and their support. The sermon title that I have is in your bulletin. It's called God's Mission, Jesus' Mission, and Our Mission. And what I'm going to try to do this morning is lay a framework or a foundation, as it were, for the mission that we do, that we have, and the support of those that we send out. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you've saved us from our sins. You have set us on the straight and narrow way and showed us how to live. Father, we are so thankful for what you've done for us and what you did for us on the cross when you died for our sins. Father, this morning, if there be anyone here or in the hearing of my voice that does not know you, we'd ask that you would touch their hearts, they would receive the gospel message, and they would come to the knowledge of you as their Savior and King. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we'll begin, as we often do, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the first humans, our parents, Adam and Eve, and he made them in his image. He placed them in a paradise and told them to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. They walked with God and had fellowship with him. In time, they sinned by disobeying God, and their sin made a wall of separation between them and their creator. Their descendants inherited their guilt and their sinful nature. Luke tells us something else. And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. We read about the divisions of mankind into nations In Genesis 10 and 11. And I'm going to read some of that to you. These are the clans of the sons of Noah. According to their genealogies. In their nations. And from these the nations spread abroad. On the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language. And the same words. Then they said. Come let us build ourselves a city. And a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had made. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. End quote. As they went out, their darkness and their idols went with them throughout the earth. Nations, tribes, Languages, tongues, denying God and worshiping gods of their own construction. Listen to how Paul describes them in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 25. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul also describes them as without hope, without God in the world, and by nature, children of wrath. Truly, they are in darkness. They're not holy. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping idols of their own creation. They're separated from God. They do not have eternal life. They're dead in trespasses and sins. Divisions, wars, hatred, animosity, sinfulness are the norm. As we are told, there are none that doeth good, no, not one. God's wrath abides on them. This is not just a historical account. These attributes are also held by all who are far from the true and living God. We have but to look around, turn the TV on for about five minutes to prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt. But God is not done with those that bear his image. Now let's go all the way to the end of our Bibles. To Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. And I'll read that to you. After this I looked and behold a great multitude. That no one, no one could number. From every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we see that the people in darkness have turned to light. People from every nation, tribe, peoples, languages are no longer separated from God, but in his presence and worshiping him. They have eternal life. We know they have been made holy because none can stand before God lest they be holy. They are glorifying God. They have turned from their idols and their wicked ways to worship the one true God. They are praising God for having saved them. This shows that something truly amazing and wonderful will happen. 
We know that with God all things are possible and whatsoever he purposes will come to pass. Beyond a doubt, God is able to accomplish everything he purposes to do. And we can see from Revelation 7 that God has purposed or ordained that there be a change in his relationship with mankind. From being separated from God to a multitude from all nations worshiping him. God wants worship from all of his creation, but especially his image bearers, male and female, created he them, we are told. Wherever they may be throughout this world, whatever nation or tribe they belong to, no matter what tongue or language they speak, God desires and seeks worship from all peoples. Let's look at a few verses that show this. Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Numbers 4, 14. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God. There is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone a righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And especially, John 4.23 Jesus said, But the hour is coming. And is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. But how will the things that we observe in Revelation 7 and the things that we just read come to pass? How will this gathering of people from all nations to worship God take place? The answer is mission. The Father is on a mission to seek and have worshipers. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. They will be from every nation and language on the earth. He will send his son on a mission. And when the son is finished, Jesus and the Father will send the Holy Spirit to help the church, us, on our mission. These missions... Although distinguishable, cannot be separated. They are one. They represent the one ultimate purpose of God. To bring glory to his name and receive worship from his creation. But I'm quite sure that you see the obstacles to God's mission to have worshipers. And why it necessitated another mission, Jesus' mission, to bring it to fruition. Let's recap. People are dead in trespasses and sins. They are separated from God because of Adam's sin and their own sin. They are not holy. They cannot stand in the presence of God. They do not desire to worship God. Their hearts are desperately wicked and dark. The image of God in man is corrupted. The wrath of God abides upon them and they are by nature Children of wrath. What is the solution? 
our nature and our status before God will have to be changed. A great darkness will require, will require a great light. We read in Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 7 about God's plan to send a Savior to make that happen. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. God has a plan, a plan that will pave the way to the worship we see in Revelation 7, 9. It is a plan of recreation and reconciliation, a plan that will involve new hearts and forgiven sins. The damage done in the relationship between God and mankind caused by Adam's sin will be healed. And the damage we ourselves produce by our sins will have a provision for its removal. Mankind will once again walk with God and worship Him. The mission of the Son will make this possible. Those who live in darkness are about to see a great light. And those that live in a land of deep darkness, upon them a light is about to shine. In the fullness of time, as it says, Father will send His Son. For God so loves the world that He will give His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, Unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given, and the government of this world will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. We rejoice when we read the proclamation by the angels of the gospel. And the angels said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Lord and Savior for all the peoples of the earth. Jesus of Nazareth. We are told that he preached to those near and far offering peace. He came to change our nature and our status before God. He made it possible for people to be holy in God's sight and therefore capable of being in God's presence to worship Him. He ransomed the people for God's own possession, that they may proclaim the excellencies of Him who had called them out of darkness into His marvelous light. He gave His life to break down the wall that separated us from God, reconciling our relationship. His sacrifice made it possible for us to receive new hearts. 
we are now able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Although not received by all, to those that did receive him that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of wrath become children of God. He won a great victory over sin and death for his people, bringing peace between God and man, and laid the foundation for the destruction of death itself. He completed his mission, crying out from the cross, It is finished. This was the mission Christ accomplished for the Father. Jesus is preparing worshipers suitable for God's presence. They have new hearts, and they wish to worship him and him alone. Jesus taught his disciples that he received a great kingdom, and you can read about that in Daniel chapter 7. And all authority in heaven and earth had been given him, that the nations were his. Why this happened is recorded for us in Revelation 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. After Jesus' resurrection, before he ascended to the throne, he gave the apostles their mission, commanding them to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded them. He had taught them how to worship God in spirit and truth. He had taught them how to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He had taught them how to be pleasing in God's sight. He told them they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. When we follow Jesus' command to go to the nations, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. In God's sovereignty, he gave us, his church, a major role in his mission. To share the fruit of Christ's mission with the nations. And to proclaim the excellencies of him who had called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are on mission with God. As he uses us in the process of making and gathering worshipers to himself. God's mission is the mission of the church to make disciples teach them and spread abroad the great news of man's reconciliation listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5:17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away the new has come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We share God's word in season, out of season. 
with those that God places in front of us. We talk about God in our workplaces and our families and with friends and with strangers. Wherever we are, we are on mission with God. We are all ambassadors and missionaries for God, regardless of anything else we may do in this life. We pray that a door will be opened for the word and that it will be received by those that hear it. The following gives us insight into the centrality of preaching in God's plan. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that God uses the preaching of the word to save sinners. Now here's what he says. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The apostle also speaks to us and tells us in Romans chapter 10 that people must be sent. 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I'd like to illustrate this mission of going and preaching by looking at an episode in Paul's life and a passage in 3 John. In it are some timeless truths that speak about our individual mission responsibilities and our responsibilities to support others with their missionary efforts, especially those that we send out. Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. So what do we see here? A request for help. A need is communicated. Come and help us. A conclusion is reached that God is calling Paul and Luke to help. The help they need is to hear the gospel of the kingdom of God preached. Being faithful to the call, they go and preach. Come and help. Go and share. This is the essence of our being called to God's mission. We hear the call, come and help. And our response is to go and share the gospel. It's the same whether God calls you to serve him near or far in your workplace or called to Africa whether your personal missionary field is Jerusalem Judea or the uttermost parts of the world you listen for God's call and that's where you serve him some people hear the call for help to serve in a local church and its surrounding area some hear the call for help to serve in a jail ministry some hear the call to help in a counseling ministry Some hear the call, like Paul, to go to places like India or the Middle East or many other places. 
But our obligation does not end with what we are personally doing. Since we are all one body of Christ, we must help others with their missionary call, especially those that financially do not have other sources of income or have been called by God to receive their livelihood from the gospel. This is why our contributions and support of our missionaries are so important. Let's look at the encouragement we see in 3 John 5 to 8. And if you could put that slide up for me. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it to you. This is 3 John 5 to 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth John tells us that members of a local church had been have been faithfully expressing their love to a group of fellow Christians that are strangers to them this group of believing strangers are leaving to preach the truth of Christ to the lost. They are being sent out on their journey to the mission field God has called them to. John is saying this. The local church should, should support them, should continue their acts of faithfulness and love to those that are departing. In so doing, they will be fellow workers with them for the truth. Those that go and those that stay are all working together on the same mission that God gave to the church. This would certainly speak to our obligation to support those that have heard the cry to come and help from places other than where we personally are serving. John also mentions that our support should be done in a manner worthy of God. When I think of what this means, I remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This points to the thought that love and support is often expressed sacrificially and with generosity, which we are told in Scripture honors God and is a faithful thing to do. We remember that inasmuch as you have done something unto these the least of my brethren, you've actually done them, done them unto God. I am very blessed to be a member of a church that supports missions near and far we support many who have been sent out. And in so doing, we are fellow workers with them for the truth. Their mission is our mission. Perhaps God is calling each of us to review our commitment to this very important work in God's kingdom, the mission God gave the church. This morning we have heard about faith promise. I urge you to take time to pray and seriously consider the amount that God would have you give this coming year. We want to support our FPC missionaries in a manner worthy of God. We want to be faithful and support them in a way that demonstrates our love for them as we are fellow workers with them in their calling. In closing, God is on mission to have fellowship with true worshipers. Jesus was sent on a mission to make that possible. And Jesus sends us on a mission to take the gospel message of reconciliation to the world, making disciples, 
gathering worshipers for God. May God use us mightily in those that we send. Let's pray. O Lord, we are thankful that you have saved us from our sins through the sacrifice of your Son. We thank you that we have been reconciled to you and been given new hearts, hearts that live to worship you. Help us to remember those that we have sent out, those that we are in mission with. This morning, Lord, as we have looked at what you have done and are doing in the lives of people, we would be remiss if we did not ask that you make yourself known to any that do not at this time have a saving relationship with you. Move people to seek you and call upon your name. Make us useful in helping them with their journey back to you, their journey home. May they find reconciliation and a place on your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.